Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 105. Today we're going to go on our usual college football sprint, talk about this big win Ohio State had, talk about a little bit mishaps in the rankings in a nine overtime game for Penn State. That was an exciting watch. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming Penn State and Ohio State game as well. And in our deep dive, we're talking about the price of being yourself. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. College Football Sprint, Episode 105, with Coach Zach Smith. Zach, I've got my Donato shirt on today down in Houston, missing a Missing a little thin crust pepperoni pizza, man. You want to mail oh me one? God. <laughs> hey, you can't beat it. I don't know I'm if I go Donato's up here, but it's good pizza. I'm so hungry just seeing that shirt. <laughs> well, the team that's looked really hungry on Saturday was the Ohio State Buckeyes. Great win post bye week. Zach, as as you know, we faced another probably inferior opponent but indiana hasn't been quite as bad as we made them look on saturday um over the last couple of years but uh what were your takeaways did you see some of the changes that you were hoping post bye week and adjustments both on the offensive side and defensive side and what were they yeah i mean we we can have two conversations here right and they can be independent of each other one is indiana's fucking terrible i mean yeah. they're awful and and we predicted it before the year that when we, we did like a team total breakdown team, like total wins. And we took the under for what we call an infinity lock is like, it's, yeah. it's guaranteed to hit. Yeah. And it, they just, they don't have the defense that they had last year. Yeah. Michael Penix jr. Is not the quarterback. Um, and, and when he was, he wasn't playing like he played last year. They have one receiver, their tight ends decent. Um, the, I guess that's the only thing they, they had against Ohio state. Their tight end had five catches. Other than that, yeah. it was like, I mean, it was a joke, like 1.3 yards per carry. They threw for 80 total yeah. yards. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> but so that's one conversation. Indiana's just fucking awful. Yeah. They're bad this year. Yeah. Oh. And the other conversation is yes. I mean, we saw, we saw a much improved team and, and this team that we're watching, Currently, the team we watched Saturday is not the same team we watched against Minnesota or Oregon. It's just not the yeah. same team. I mean, not it's, even close. I mean, in the most part, it's not even the same. I mean, on defense, it's not the same players, right? Steel yeah. Chambers is a monster, right? Tyle yeah. Tylenol Williams, as I call him, Tyleek Williams is an absolute stud. Um, it, it was you saw a lot more of what you wanted to see, right? Now they didn't throw the ball a ton, and when they did, they couldn't do it. So we didn't get yeah. to see a lot of pressuring the quarterback. But the yeah. defense was, I was, I mean, it's it's phenomenal what's going on right now. And honestly, if they're able to make a run at this, let's say hypothetically they win it all, there needs to be a book written about what Ryan Day did, right? Deciding to to demote Kerry Combs, promote Matt Barnes, because the defense is entirely different defense, and they started learning it like week four or week five. I mean, it, it's like really week three. But either way, I mean, you're talking about a midseason change, and it wasn't just a change on calling plays. Like they're running two high defenses more now. There, it's multiplicity. It's the scheme yeah. is phenomenal. I mean, they had eight missed tackles, so these kids are are fundamentally playing better. Like everything you you wanted to come into the year doing, now they're doing it after a midseason switch. It's just unheard of. So, I mean, I love I love the trajectory of this team. I love where they're going. You imagine how much better this defense will be in eight weeks, right? When they've played in this defense for eight more weeks. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. And the good news is this big test coming up this weekend is, is not as big a test as people thought it might've been. Yeah. I see some similarities and I, and I want, I've been wanting to ask you this question over the weekend between what happened the year, the last year, Ohio state won when you were on the coaching staff took an early season loss to an inferior opponent, Virginia tech, um, and then continued down the path of, from that point, getting better each week to the point where by the end of the season, it was clear Ohio State was hands down the best team in the country. What were some of the similarities and differences that that opportunity creates for you when you have an excellent team, you lose a game you're not supposed to lose in terms of how it helps motivate the rest of the season? Well, I think uh, it was very – so there, there's a lot of similarities. And Darren Lee came on my show last well, – I don't know, last Thursday, I think. 
Yeah. And, and we, or maybe last Tuesday, either way, we had a, a long conversation about that because he was obviously a part of that 2014 team. Yeah. I mean, he was a star and, um, the similarities, I, I don't think it's as similar with, as far as the, how the loss motivated the team. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it re refocuses your team, makes sure you know, it, it humbles your team. And as long as you bounce back the right way, which Ohio state's going to do, cause they rarely lose, yeah. um, you know, it, it can be a positive experience, but I think what it did, you know, you look at why those losses happened and what happened afterwards. Like Virginia Tech happened because we had we were we were deficient on offense. I mean, we weren't prepared for what they were going to do, uh, so that's not very similar. And then and then defensively, it's because they worked on a defense to to play Navy, an entire training camp, and then after the Navy game, essentially they put in their what was our defense, and so that was. They had one week to kind of get it right and go play Virginia Tech, and there was mistakes all over the place, and it was just it was a perfect storm. Honestly, if we didn't play Navy that first week, we don't lose to Virginia Tech. And um, but the similarities are insane, right? Redshirt freshman quarterback, yeah, you know, offensive struggles, um, and the similarity that Darren pointed out was this team had to undergo a defensive change mid like mid season, like we just talked yeah. about, and. And in 2014, it wasn't a change. It was just they started learning the defense midseason, right? Yeah. Like, and so it, it's very similar. I think there's there's similar pieces. I mean, the secondary is very similar to the mm -hmm. 2014 secondary. Um, the, the defense as a whole, I, I think, is, is similar. Um, there's not a Joey Bosa. Uh, that's yeah. the one thing that and, – and if there is, it's a freshman, right? JTT yeah. or one of those guys. And then offensively, it's very similar, right? Zeke Elliott. Bursts on the to the national scene as an elite back. Travion yeah. Henderson, same yeah. thing, right? Exactly. Uh, CJ Stroud's a much better thrower than JT, but JT threw the ball a lot better in 2014 than he did in 2016. Yeah, yeah. And then the receiver, the receiver group's very similar, right? Your Chris Olave is your Devin Smith. Your Garrett Wilson is your Mike Thomas, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is your Jalen Marshall. Probably a little better at most positions, other than I'd say I'd take Mike right now over over any of them, to be honest. But um, they're all they're all exceptional. They're all going to yeah. be first round guys. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's amazing to see like the trajectory of the season. Like, and I, I saw the similarities before even the loss to the Oregon team. I was like, this team could make it. This is the year, like when the expectations are a little bit lower mm -hmm. that it seems like you have the best chance of getting to the dance and winning versus having all of the pressure on you the year following, right? What happened to Ohio state to have the pressure and also the rewards of success and all the things that come with that, the distractions that come with that, why it's so hard to repeat, but why it's a lot easier to kind of almost be an underdog, having that first loss get you out of like the pressure cooker and sense that people aren't paying attention to you the same and you can just work, do the work and ground out the external noise from the rankings, from everything else that's going on and you can just the team focuses in and it probably takes better to coaching after a loss the players are probably like i need to be coached we lost you know well and it creates uh kind of a, that that urgency like you said i mean you you lose a game you can't lose another one yeah <laughs> and, and it's, especially then you're talking about all right who who are you gonna who's that loss gonna come to right it, it better yeah. not be penn state michigan state or michigan or you might not even be in the win the big 10 right you might not even get a chance to play for it so there's definitely it creates urgency. That's the one thing it does do. Yeah, yeah. So across the league, I mean, we saw a, a crazy amount of upsets this weekend, Zach. Were there any that key ones that stood out to you? No, not really. I mean, I thought Alabama looked very, uh, very normal. I mean, they're, yeah. they're nothing special this year. That's all I could tell you. Yeah, um, they looked extremely normal against Tennessee. I thought Tennessee played them well, and the score doesn't show it because they kind of hit a couple late. But yeah. Tennessee played was in that game the whole the whole game. I mean. Yeah. You know, no one ever felt like they were going to win, but it wasn't just a blowout win. And I think that's a testament to Alabama being a little down this year and a testament to Tennessee's better than people thought. And it's kind of trending in the right direction. And then, I mean, Oklahoma State losing to Iowa State, I predicted that one. I, I, that's not a shocker at all to me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, Penn State's probably the only one that, that was somewhat surprising only because it was Illinois. I, I, I've said for four weeks that Penn State is very, very average. They're below average on offense and above average on defense. That, that makes an average team. I didn't think Illinois would have the, 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 the balls to go, to go beat them, but <laughs> that overtime was wild, though. I didn't yeah, think that was incredible. I, 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 
it, it's a question I was asked this weekend after that overtime game in terms of do I prefer the NFL overtime rules or the college football overtime rules? And I wanted to ask you guys that question. I think after this nine overtime <laughs> situation, which one do you guys like better? Well, I'll tell you this. I loved it. Now, the only reason it sucked is because both teams were awful. I mean, they, they had, yeah. first of all, when the rule came out, I read yeah. it and I was like, that's, I don't even make sense. That's been the rule all along because it was stated as like, after the second overtime, you just go for two. And I was two, like, yeah. they, you've always had to do that. What the fuck yeah. are they talking about? Right. Yeah. And then on Saturday, I'm like, first of all, I bet the under. So multiple overtimes is terrible for the under. Yeah. And when they, when they lined up for a two point play, I was like, wait a minute, this under is a lock. They can only get two points. They can't get yeah. eight, like seven yeah. or eight. Yeah. Um, but it was it was only painful because they went four straight overtimes where both teams didn't get the two point right four yeah. like eight total plays of non conversions. Yeah. So it was yeah. just it, the the it was format bad. wasn't bad. The teams were bad. Yeah, yeah. I kind of liked it. Yeah, by far college is far superior to the NFL overtime rules. This is way sense. more interesting. But the NFL doesn't make sense. Like if you score a touchdown, we don't get a chance. What the fuck is that? Like, yeah, it doesn't make any played. sense. Yeah. It's a coin it's toss. It's better than what point. it was before, though. It was better than what it was before. Oh, yeah. If you, if you get the ball, you win before where you a yeah. field goal wins it. So at least they gave the other team a redemption shot. But I don't understand why they don't either say each team gets one possession or it, it, back in the day, it was it was like I thought if I remember right way back, it was just a, a time like 15 minutes. Go play. I oh, like yeah. this PK style. This is fun, man. It's fun to have a little shootout. Yeah, well, the, N- the the NFL cares about one thing more than anything, which is their bottom line. And if we have unlimited overtimes, the one o'clock games bleed into the four o'clock games. Oh, that's writing. That's that's a hundred percent of the reason why their rules is are. that is that the concern? Oh yeah, because yeah, it, it, as it is right now, if a one o'clock game isn't over by four o'clock, they'll switch yeah, the game, even if it's an overtime. Wow. There's like a five minute window that they can show it, but then they get why why do they prioritize the beginning of the next game? It, it all has to do with brand money, right? It has to do with like yeah. that that four o'clock team is scheduled to be on TV when it starts, and if the other teams don't finish, it's on them, kind of, right? Like, yeah, and they need to maintain the numbers and ratings for each of the games yep. to maintain their their deal. So it, that's it, a totally totally different business model than I've ever it, well, ever really seen. It's the dumbest shit in the world because they play the night night games at eight thirty. They could play those four o'clock games at four forty five and still have plenty of time. It's just it's so dumb, but it's how they operate. So whatever, yeah. because they want to have that. 50 minute preview show for the night game that no one watches and no one cares about. I don't care. Like the people talking are a bunch of like sports media journalist majors that don't know shit about football. Like they just need to make the game better and stop worrying about pre preview shows with like yeah. some guy from Northwestern. <laughs> Man, I, well, I will say I was definitely surprised by the Penn state upset. I didn't think that oh. they were going to go down to Illinois and I was shocked to look at my phone and see the score and then see 9 OT next to it. Because I saw you, it dude. early. It looked like it was going to be a comfortable win for Penn State if you watch the first quarter, you know. Yeah. And then, but the, I was, I think I was most surprised because this is coming off the heels of Burt Bielema, like talking shit about his team basically in the media. And, yeah. and it, so I don't know if it was more they like bowed up and answered the, the bell. Uh, after he said those things, or if it was more, they went out there like, "All right, fat fuck, like we're going to show you that like, we think we suck, or we don't suck that bad." And maybe it was all a, a motivational tactic. Maybe he's brilliant. Yeah. I don't know. I know the man can tell maybe, you where the maybe best next, next, is, though. Maybe next year, as a result of this win, he'll he'll get a job in the SEC that he'll get fired from here. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I mean, it was, but. What were your, you know, I think that's a good segue after the tale of two teams, right? Like the the Penn State loss to a bad team, a pretty bad team. Ohio State dominating a good, a, a used to be good team, but bad team this year, clearly. Going into the primetime matchup this weekend between them, I don't think that either of those things really ever affect this game because one thing I've seen from Kirk Franklin is that that team, no matter where their talent level is, generally gets up and plays Ohio State well. Yeah, they will. Yeah. They will. I mean it's it's just it's it's too much for this Penn State team to handle. I mean a night game at the shoe, yeah. the Scarlet Out or whatever the, I don't know what they're calling it. Red out. Uh, what, yeah. what is it called? The Scarlet Out. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I mean it's 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 gonna be an electric atmosphere and and honestly 
because of Penn State's whiteout, yeah, like Ohio State fans almost like feel like they need to replicate that when Penn State comes to town. Like uh, Ohio Stadium is a great atmosphere, <laughs> especially at night. But yeah. when it's Penn State, it's like a notch above, right? Just because it's almost like a competition, right? The whiteout is nuts. And Ohio yeah. State fans take offense to the fact that that is the best atmosphere in college football or, or in the Big Ten and, is and the, the whiteout. And, and the, Ohio the, State fans are kind of like, man, that's bullshit. Like, we better get loud. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I don't want to call our fans out. I love the fact that we can get 110,000 people into the stadium. But I've never been to a game at Ohio Stadium where it actually sounds like 110,000 people. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's you it's, have a lot of, like, conservative fans. The student section is always great. Yeah, it, so... I mean, I've I've been I've been in that stadium when it's been electric, and it's always yeah. been a night game against a big opponent. Nebraska 2012 was huge. Yeah. Penn State a couple times was huge at night. Wisconsin was was big one year. It's at way night. better at night, yeah. Way better at night, and and I think and Penn State's not anything to write home about at 3:30 either. Yeah, um, it's those whiteout at night games, and and just not that I've paid a ton of attention to the crowd because you hear them, you know they're there, but you don't like actually study the people but it's for whatever reason this might just be my mind but the crowd seems younger at penn state right yeah, i don't know does. i don't know if, but i bet if you did a demographic study i bet they're like 15 years younger on average than yeah. the ohio than ohio stadium and I, I think it go, just goes to the the tradition at ohio state it's a much more storied program you know the people that have season tickets it's been like generational like their grandpa gave it to them or yeah. whatever and they're just older people that have these season tickets and at penn state they're just younger and yeah. they're they're crazier it's also a college town right there's not a a 1.5 million person city where a bunch of old people live i mean who in lives corporate. in state college right? a lot of corporate tickets people aren't acting a fool when they're on the job right you, know? you go to penn, you go to state college like what the hell else are you going to do other than get really drunk and go yell as loud as you can yep hundred <laughs> percent you know but hopefully the the fans come out and, and and be the 12th man uh this week and 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 show up and show out it's always easier when things are going well a lot of a lot of fans abandoned the team after the oregon oregon game and now they're the biggest ohio state fans uh again oh, yeah. so that's that's the nature <laughs> of uh of, of fanhood right that's uh, it. but the thing that stood out i know you hate talking about these things um, the rankings, right? And you brought it up earlier. Alabama did not look impressive this nope. weekend against Tennessee. They beat them. They did not look impressive, but they jumped over Oklahoma from number five to number three, whereas Ohio State show has shown over the last few weeks that this is a different team than what we saw against Oregon and Minnesota, but they did not get that same favor. And I feel like, I don't know what it is. It bothers me about the type of respect that an undefeated big 12 team gets. You saw Iowa state beat Oklahoma state. You see this throughout the big 12 is not a good football conference, but yet Oklahoma continues to get respect that quite frankly, they, they don't deserve, right? I don't mind Alabama jumping them. We know the story behind why that is the sec bias all that stuff but i like to point out these situations just as a reminder like okay if you're going to jump alabama after an unimpressive victory and you're down on oklahoma why wouldn't you also jump an ohio state team that's playing in the big 10 conference better conference top to bottom as well yeah i mean i, I agree i mean it's I, I, ohio state's a much better team than than oklahoma just when you watch them they are um, I think these rankings are really based on on I don't even want to say it, it's inconsistent reasoning, but if 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 I could try to play devil's advocate or at least have a unbiased perspective, right? Yeah. It's it's that all right. Ohio State had all these issues. That's why they lost to Oregon, right? Yeah. One, o Oklahoma hasn't lost, right? That's yeah. that's a start. And two, do we really know they're fixed, right? Like yeah. Ohio State has played horrendous opponents. Yeah. since basically since Oregon and since they made these changes, since CJ Stroud looked yeah. better, the defense looks better. It's like, okay, like at least Oklahoma beat Texas, right? Texas is a solid football team, right? Yeah. And, and so who is Ohio state beaten really? Yeah. They, yeah. And what I, do you think, what do you think changes if, if we beat Penn state, do you think that we get jumped? 
Well, it just matters how we beat Penn State, right? Yeah. And Penn State losing to Illinois fucks up, fucks up perspective, right? Um, I, I, at the in the end of the day, Ohio State is going to be two if they win out. They just yeah. are. Um, yeah. And the good thing is, none of these rankings matter. So we'll find out. I think what, what week is this? Eight. I think we find out after this week the first playoff yeah. ranking comes out, and we'll find out what the actual decision makers that are going to decide not only who makes the playoffs but who plays who, right? Yeah, because that's that's sometimes bigger than than making it, right? If you yeah. know you're in or you you're you're right there, it's like all right, well now you're going to put us at two or or four or one because yeah. that matchup is huge. Just envision this, right? Let's say it's Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati. Who gets to play Cincinnati? I mean, Georgia, if they win out, obviously, yeah. but let's say they lose to whatever, however it goes down. Whoever gets to play Cincinnati has a leg up because although I love Cincinnati, they're not on par with Ohio State or Georgia. They're just not. Yeah. So you're going to get an easier semifinal, and now you're going to be fresher and more prepared for the final. So there's, there's, we're going to learn a lot when these playoff rankings come out, and it's kind of like, all right, how do how do these decision makers view everyone, right? And I, I would imagine they view Ohio State pretty freaking high. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, I think to your point, we'll have to finish out the season strong. We're going to have to have some convincing wins over good teams to actually prove our point. And we have a tough, not only Penn State, a tough Michigan State game and a tough Michigan game ahead of us. So I think if we're able to demonstrate that we are the best team in the Big Ten through all of that, then I think we are in our spot. But I mean, it's still a lot, a lot of football to be played. I'll tell you what, if you want, and if you want Ohio State to have the highest, I guess, perceived uh, value or ranking, and if you're a fan of Midwest football, you want one thing and one thing only, and that's for Ohio State to be ten, uh, what ten and one, and Michigan to be eleven and zero in the Big House. And I mean, what are we talking about? They'll be calling I mean, it the game two point oh. Yeah, yeah. The, the the conference has done their job to support Ohio State this year, right? If we For went sure. out or beating a ranked Penn State team, a top ten ranked Michigan State team, and then following it up with a top six Michigan team, and then likely top fifteen Iowa team. I don't think anyone um, in any conference has of the, the the elite teams has a tougher road to get there than Ohio State. And if we get there. I could even envision that, you know, Georgia, Georgia wins out there and stay at one, but I, I agree with you. Ohio state's probably going to be at two. Um, definitely. And if Georgia, if Georgia f- takes a loss in the sec championship or any loss yeah, along Ohio the way, us. Ohio state's going to be number one, you know, but you know, I don't want to underestimate either of these, t- any of these three opponents, four opponents we have left, because to be honest, like, I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen from Michigan this year. It seems like they're they're they have an identity. Um, and whoever's running their offense isn't doing the same boneheaded dumb shit that they always do. It could be a challenge for us. Oh, it's not going to be easy. And, and and I think I think we talked about it before, but I think the biggest challenge will be. I think Jim Harbaugh did a decent job this off season, kind of making this game important again. And yeah. so, because yeah. honestly, none of this stuff mattered in yeah. in the Jim Tressel era, right? Yeah. And even in the early Urban Meyer era, none of it mattered. How good was the team? I don't know. Yeah. We weren't very good in, in 2012. I know we went 12 and 0, but yeah. that Michigan team was salty in 2013, salty. Yeah. And I mean, it was it mattered back then, yeah. and it didn't matter who was ranked where, who had lost three games. None of that mattered. It was yeah. it was a true hatred rivalry game, and I think. Jim Harbaugh did a decent job of trying to bring that feeling back because, you know, it's like anything else. If your older brother beats you up every day, eventually you're like, all right, enough's enough. Like, yeah, it's time to stand up. And I I think the reason that Harbaugh didn't understand this rivalry the same is because when he was playing, they're whooping our ass, you know, Um, for sure. and, And maybe he didn't because the rivalry hadn't been as as good for him. He took it for granted. You know, that was the issue people had with John Cooper when he was the coach is that he took that rivalry for granted. And by the time he took it seriously, it was too late and he was out the door because I think some of those Cooper teams were probably the most talented teams we've had ever at Ohio state, but he didn't emphasize the importance of that game. And the Michigan team would come in and, and have a leg up. And that's what Ohio state's done with Kressel and urban and now Ryan day. We'll see if, if one year, of saying, hey, the most important game on the schedule, we should probably take it a little bit more seriously if that helps or not. 
Yeah, no doubt. And John Cooper was the the Dabo Sweeney before Trevor Lawrence coach, right? He was the yeah. guy I always said, he he's gonna fuck it up. Like every yeah. year, yeah. like you'd be like, damn, they're gonna win it all. They're the best team ever. It's like, oh, this year it's Michigan State. Sorry, he's gonna fuck it up. Like he yeah. every year he's gonna fuck it up. Like yeah. somewhere, somehow, he's gonna fuck it up. Yep. Yep. Nothing was more brutal than that Michigan State loss. That one oh my was gosh. killer. That might have been the best, most talented Ohio State team ever. We lost to yeah. Michigan State. An awful Michigan State team. Yeah, the they weren't. Yeah. Twice. That's like killed two of our national championship runs. Michigan State like owns us during our best well, years. I don't know if you believe <laughs> I don't know if you believe in foreshadowing, V, but <laughs> You're, you're, you're uh, yeah, you're doing it right about now. Michigan State ruining seasons right now. <laughs> I, I hope I hope I I take a forget everything that I just said. <laughs> if I call it out, it's not like going to come back to bite us in the ass. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It shouldn't it? Shouldn't. But I am. In, let's talk about that for a second, though. Since let's put some positive vibes out there about what Michigan State is doing. Like you highlighted the importance of evaluating and understanding the, the new transfer rules. Michigan State lost like all of its players, but Mel Tucker figured out this transfer portal in a way in which all the stuff that was happening now, they're fielding a team that's pretty good. They really are. And um, they it, 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 we talked about it, I think, before the year, but uh, Mel Tucker's the coach of the year in the Big Ten, and it's not even close. I don't care who, I don't care what happens. I mean, yeah. if he doesn't, if he doesn't win it, I'm, I mean, I always protest that award because Ohio State Carson. coaches are, are ineligible, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but <laughs> what he did is unbelievable. He he completely wholesale changed his roster. I mean, forty five guys or something like that uh, left and came in, right? And, and and Kenneth Walker is an absolute monster, the running back. And Peyton Thorne is doing a good job of managing the offense. They got some speed at receiver. I mean, really, really fast kids, like track kids, and their defense is playing exceptional i mean i think they're honestly i think they're the team to beat uh in the big 10 i just would like it to be michigan i would like michigan to win that game so that it just for the rivalry right but yeah but i think michigan state right now i mean outside obviously ohio state's the team to beat but outside of ohio state michigan state is the threat in my yeah. opinion wow, yeah that's 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 crazy that's crazy yeah. to think about where they were in one year, year. In and one that's what year. i mean he, he should win national coach of the year I don't even care yeah. how they finish. Like they could lose the rest of them. He still gets the award. Yeah. 45 players is crazy. I mean, he literally went through last year. He was like, nope, fuck this. All right, you 45, gotta go. <laughs> like, and then they hit the transfer portal, hit recruiting, and they rolled a team out this year. It's like, who are these guys? Like, yeah. I don't even know who these people are. I can't believe you can you can pick up that many players off the transfer portal. Well, that's the portal. That's the opposite of Dabo Sweeney, right? You could do anything <laughs> yeah. in the portal now. Yeah. <laughs> And change the identity. I mean, he's changing the identity of Michigan State football for a long time. You had D'Antonio there. It was just a it was a different style. They have some offensive firepower. And they got there. some swagger, man. You look at yeah. him and it's all coming from Mel Tucker. You look at him yeah. after a win every time. He he gets home, sits wherever the I don't know if it's his house or there's like there's a patio, and he takes a picture of him with a glass of bourbon and a cigar in his mouth. And it's just like he's got swagger and his yeah. team plays like it. Like it talk yeah. about a culture being permeated from the top down. Like I just love the guy. I mean, he's yeah. he's got my vote right now. To even take that job because he had a oh. decent job before, and to take that job in that scenario and have yeah, I mean, Colorado to Michigan State, that's yeah, not, it's that's not, not a, a no brainer for me. Michigan State after all the, the fire, it's like taking the job after Joe Paterno, right? It's like, right. And you come in and you have to have a degree of self-confidence and swagger and mojo to say, you know what? I can take this situation and I can fix it. And he's There's fixed no it. Yes, and he's a Buckeye. You know, he was a D coordinator under Cooper. Oh, he was. I didn't wow. Know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Wow. Nice. 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 Well, oh. wish him all the best, except for two weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, I think we are ending this college football segment in anticipation for the Ohio State Penn State matchup. You guys want to do a little uh, little score prediction? Well, over under, you want to, Zach? You you want to lead us since you're the uh, sports betting expert? Um, well, I'm going to take Ohio State to cover this. I think the spread's like 19, which is just goes to show you how this is not a close game. Yeah. Um, and you take it the way that Ohio State's playing at home in the scarlet out um, at night. I mean, it's just this is 
they, Penn State is walking into a buzzsaw after losing to Illinois, and you just know those players walked in Sunday morning, like watched their film against Illinois, just dejected, right? And then they woke up Monday morning and cut on Ohio State's cut-ups, and they're like, fuck. <laughs> so, I mean, I think Ohio State wins by, by 21 points. I really do. Yeah, I'm I'm going with the Buckeyes too, and the main reason is that I'm not seeing much from as Zach's pointed out as I've watched these games. I'm not seeing an offense that can compete. It looks like Penn State's defense is decent, um, and they fly around to the ball. But the only way Ohio State loses this game is if Ohio State beats itself. Um, mm-hmm. They just cannot keep up with our offense, um, and I expect them to cover the spread as well. And I think it's going to be a blowout. Man, I'm going to go a little bit more conservative. I think it'll be 35-21, but I think it'll be one of those games that it it was like 35-7 till the fourth quarter, and then they just let two in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you see that Zach, get the you, you, in late. Yeah. Zach, you have your uh, tailgate this this weekend, right? Yep. Um, tell people how they can how they can show up and get some tickets for sure. So, uh, it's down on the point on lane, which is right next to varsity club. It's literally like, I don't know, what is that? A quarter mile at most from the stadium, right on the corner of, of lane Avenue. And well, I don't even know the road, the main road, the stadium's on, but, um, you get tickets. It's on Eventbrite, Braxton Miller's, uh, foundation, and it's on his social media, my social media. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be, I mean, we've already sold more tickets than we've had at any tailgate. So it's going to be wild. Oh, it sounds amazing. It's gonna be great. Well, check that out. And as always, are you going to live stream this game too, Zach? Or are you? No, I, I've been trying to figure out how to do that because we're at the tailgate. I don't know yeah. if I can. Uh, we'll see. I doubt it. Uh, I'm really just going to enjoy the tailgate. I think. <laughs> I think that's a heck yeah. A wise. I think that's a wise decision. <laughs> and hopefully, we'll see you guys back uh, next week after a big Ohio State win and some respect in the rankings. For sure. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. We obviously uh, have a deep dive today. I'm going back to some of these deep dives. And the deep dive, I think, is a challenge a lot of people face. Um, the idea and the concept of being you is something that's projected and promoted often on social media, but there is a huge challenge in saying that phrase and believing that phrase and actually executing it. It comes with a lot of unique challenges in the society we live in because there's so much pressure to conform. And when you decide to look inward and find your own identity that's the first step, finding your identity. The second step is consistently and constantly living that truth and being yourself despite the challenges that society um, and mainstream media uh, and, and jobs and school and all the other things that you're dealing with in real life present to you. Um, and I think it's, it's something that I think a lot of people talk about the, the concept of being you, but they don't talk about like just how difficult that actually is to go from wanting to be yourself to actually being yourself. And I think it's a relevant topic for us, considering that is kind of a catchphrase for our brand, right? That yeah. whole idea of being you. So we we talked about this um, in, a, in a conversation we had, and I thought it would be a relevant topic for us yeah. to discuss on the podcast. I'll give some story to frame this. This is where this, this topic emerges this week from. 
Um, being yourself in the context of anything can be difficult. And when most people say, we want you to be yourself, they mean, we want you to be yourself as long as I'm okay with the version of you that you're being. And that's a very frustrating reality in America. And it's extremely frustrating when you're a minority and it's with mostly white people because it's like, hey, great. I want you to be a minority. I want you to have your culture. But the second you do something that is not not what they want you to do, not fitting their their image of who you are, then there's problems, right? And I saw that this weekend. We were at this pickleball tournament. Pickleball, okay. This is not this is not a, a fighting sport. This is not a physical sport. It's pickleball. It's not that serious. So we're at a pickleball tournament and we're cheering on two of our friends who are playing. It's a 16-year-old kid and my friend Matt. And they're playing against these two other kids. We talk to the other kids in advance and we say, hey, we're going to cheer pretty hard. We have a reputation in that community because they all kind of cheer like it's tennis. We cheer like it's a college basketball game. And the administration, like the, the league, has repeatedly told us, we love the way you guys cheer. Come with that energy. It helps lift the sport up. It helps keep things interesting. We need more fans like you guys. So we said, okay, we're going to bring that energy. Thursday, we're at this event. And a match gets stopped. The ref uh, tells me off for cheering too loud during the match. He says, sir, can you please refrain from becoming a part of the match? I was just like, sure, whatever. Go up, talk to the owners of the league after that. They were like, no, that ref was messed up. Keep doing what you're doing. We like what you guys do. Keep on going. So, okay, going to keep going. So the next day, we're at this, uh, we're at a match now, the one I was prefacing with a 16-year-old kid and my friend Matt, who's, uh, you know, I won't say his age because he probably doesn't want to share that, but he's not that old. He's just old enough to be insecure about it, I would guess. But uh, he's uh, playing this match, and um, he's playing against these two two other kids, and we're cheering, and one of the kids just can't handle it. He's just not really cut out to be a competitor, not mentally strong, and he starts to lose his shit. He starts to get upset, starts to yell at us from the court. Look, if you're playing a match, you only have one opponent, and that's the person across from you. The audience yeah. is not your opponent, right? Like yeah. The second that you've acknowledged that they exist, you've lost. You lost the match right there. Because your focus is not on the game anymore. It's on something completely different because your ego got in the way. Your emotions got in the way. So we keep on cheering, and then the crowd starts to get in it, and they start to go against us because they're upset that we're cheering so loud. So anytime the other team scores, the crowd goes freaking crazy. So we turn it up another notch. We get even crazier. Then this kid at one point starts shouting at us. And I was like, what? He's like, throws down his paddle runs over to the thing and just like comes right up in my face. I'm Ron just standing test. there. Seriously. Tested you. <laughs> I'm just standing there. I'm like, yo, like what? And he's like, he's like talking to me. I don't even like, honestly, I don't even remember what was said to be real with you, but he turns around and then he faces me again. And then he smacks me in the face. And I was like, what, what are you doing, bro? I was like, go back and play your game. Like, this is not what you're trying to do here. Like turn around. Then he charges us. He jumps this like waist high fence and charges me. And fortunately, my team was there. You know, we had a lot of people around. We were able to hold him back. But the crazy thing to me was that I got charged for, you know, if, if you were to listen, this is what was said after the fact. There's a quote from some of the players on the court. What we were doing was not even close to the intensity of college tennis cheering. Yeah. I can't, I don't know about anyone listening. I can't fucking remember when I went to a college tennis game. That is boring, yeah. right? We were below that threshold of fandom. And I just want that to be clear. And we got charged by this motherfucker who had some shit to prove. He scratches up one of my homies. And we go and, and get the administration. And ultimately, he gets kicked out. But the whole time, the entire crowd is against us. I'm hearing some of the meanest things I've ever heard. You deserve to get hit. You deserve to get punched. It's like, really? Like, I deserve violence because of my words? Because <laughs> I was supporting my friend? We never, as fans, we never said anything about the opponent. We only said things about our people when they scored, right? So we're sitting there, okay, whatever, day ends. And we come back the next day, and our tent has been vandalized, our you know lasso tent. And it was fucking hilarious to me because people took that game that seriously 
But also what was hilarious is that for the entire tournament, the only thing I heard was, oh my gosh, the lasso guys and people took stands. It was either you were super pro lasso, you're super anti lasso. And it turns out like all the people that we fucked with, all of our athletes, all of really the majority of the people there, even the league uh, administration was very heavily behind us. And there was a small, small minority who was very strongly against us. And it was one of those moments where I saw, like we talk about minority rights a lot in this country, but it's kind of the opposite side of minority rights where it's like, you don't have the right to push someone else down when they're just being themselves, right? You don't have the right to try to force somebody to live in your standards. And if the way we were conducting ourselves made you unhappy, to me, I think it was a class thing. I think that tennis fans think that they're at a certain level of class. And I think that when we come and cheer, like we're supporting basketball or football and, you know, our skin looks different, right? We had a couple of white dudes with us, but my skin looks different. I think that we come across a different way. And I think that's, that's what we were, you know, victims of in that moment. Yeah. I mean, the thing about, uh, status games in sports it's hilarious because you have these sports there is there is a certain standard um that's acceptable obviously like you don't want to interrupt someone's golf swing or someone's serve in tennis but the fans of these sports kind of play these class games where you you are supposed to act a certain way you're supposed to behave a certain way um in order to fit into the club of tennis or or whatever whatever it may be and that's really one of those situations that i was talking about which is the expectations to conform that society puts on you and when you go against the grain and you see this with players you know the players who are more vocal so you know with john McEnroe, andre agassi different guys that are are, are more emotional and most recently um naomi osaka serena williams uh it's like they jump on you for being or having a stance that doesn't conform to whatever the stance that the tennis community or the tennis culture deems acceptable, right? Um, not doing a post-game interview can lead to you being banned. Um, throwing your racket can lead to a fine, slamming your racket on the ground, responding to a fan. These are things in that sport that aren't deemed acceptable and they police them. Um, and the truth is that it would probably make for a much better sport if they just relaxed a little bit and understood this was a game that people were playing and that there is a, a standard that's not acceptable, right? Like the standard is don't interrupt someone's serve, but if somebody makes a great point, you can cheer loudly. If somebody that you're rooting for does something, you can say something. If, if an opponent is being disrespectful to his opponent, then the fans can jump on that person and talk shit back to them. I mean, yeah, that's exactly. And the thing that gets me is always the people who, you know, take it upon themselves to enforce like a certain standard are usually the worst athletes of the bunch. You know, yeah. it's never, it's never the person who's ridiculously good at the sport that's out here saying, Oh, you have to act this way. You have to act that way. If you're so good at the sport or if you were even remotely good, you'd be more focused on playing and less focused on what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that example gives good, good context um, for the conversation. I think what people are really looking for, I think more than anything is I think what people go through, there are a lot of people out here who are not happy with the persona that they're projecting to the public, to their community, to, to who they are. They feel like they're living as frauds that they're conforming but they do nothing um to fix that problem right how do you one through the the matrix of of you know of the world right formalized education um laws everything like that that's set up when you're born first of all overcoming that concept of just conforming to fit in to saying hey i don't want to fit in i don't fit in you know usually that's the first question the understanding that you don't fit in that you aren't really that conforming doesn't make you feel comfortable or the fact that you are trying to conform and 
you are not being accepted by the conformists, right? That's usually what drives, starts driving people toward this, this idea of, of finding yourself or being yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and then when, when that person starts to self-identify and figure those things out, there's almost always, I'd say probably 99% of the time, there is a resistance or, I guess, war that goes on between that person's community and the changes that they're going through, which is not accepting them for who they are, you know, and this happens across a lot of things, you know, um, and so... The question is, how do you, one, identify those challenges? What are those challenges? Because I think one of the things that bothers me a lot about people who say I want to be myself is they don't understand that that's going to come with some of this flack, some of this resistance, some of this discomfort. And that if you're not comfortable accepting that discomfort, then you should probably focus on conforming. Because it's not being you isn't just all rainbows, <laughs> rainbows and <laughs> and pots of gold. It's difficult. It's difficult to 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 truly identify who you are and say, you know what, the people who are going to accept me are going to accept me. The people who aren't aren't. But I'm going to be consistently who I am. I'm not going to conceal who I am to the world. I'm not going to hide certain aspects of myself to the world. I am going to live openly and honestly. And that is a true challenge, you know? It's a challenge yeah. that I go through still to this day, despite the fact that I do think I am about as close to my authentic self as as I can be. I'm optimizing that and overcoming all the challenges that I've gotten to get to this point. It's not, it's not fun some days, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah, not- dude, you're spot on. I mean, it's it's definitely not fun. I think your point is well said that if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen, right? Like mm-hmm. it does take a certain level of conviction to be yourself. And you have to embrace the fact that it comes with people throwing their bullshit at you because we're in a society where I think like the, I'm glad the, fl- the phrase triggering is like more popular in society because now we have a word that indicates when something upsets your sense of identity, your reaction to it, right? That's, that's what triggering is. And when you when you build your life and choose your actions outside of the matrix, if you will, the majority of your actions are going to trigger people. It's just the reality of it. Yep. 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 And insecurity, other people's insecurities are always going to be deflected on you. Right. And people do not like seeing someone who is happy with themselves. It's just the truth of society. It's a, it's a hilarious like and ironic that that's true right in and in especially in a country that they say you know it's built on freedom identity everybody's an independent citizen but the reality is that that's not what is culturally pushed or culturally accepted is the idea everybody is trying to fit into tribes you know republican democrat you know racial lines social economic lines everyone's trying to fit into these little cults or tribes and no one is really thinking about independence they're not realizing that even saying you know i'm this is the land of the free home of the brave that you're aligning yourself <laughs> with a cult you know what i mean and yeah. i think that that's the that's the the conundrum that people go through is like you have to really truly understand that that's what being yourself is is not giving a fuck if anyone accepts you and not giving a fuck and that's a hard place to put yourself in as a human being because we are wired to seek tribes to 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 seek affirmation to seek comfort but the reality is that if you truly are being yourself you are probably finding less of those people than more and it's a challenge but when you do find them your your tribe may be smaller but You also have to have the security in which your friend circle is a whole bunch of people who have their own identities too. And they may or may not agree with everything about you or be completely in line with your logic or thinking, but 
your they're your friends because you have that same frame of reference of you're being authentic. Yeah. You know yeah, I, mean? I think that's that's such a powerful statement that you made right there. I think that it's important to recognize you are different from your friends. And yeah. I think a lot of people want their friends to align in every single way. I think it's a natural trait, you know, it's just something you have to be aware of that your brain wants to do. But yeah. it's more valuable for your friends to be different from you than it is for them to be the same as you. Because then when you have that camaraderie, trust, and the most important word of all, loyalty with your friends, then over time, their differences help you see the world better than you could see it from one perspective and you can attack it together. Exactly. Exactly. And you, and you brought that perfect point of teamwork versus competition. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we live in a very competitive society where we're told that someone else's success is a reflection of your failure and someone else's, uh, someone else's, failure is something that's also a reflection of your success. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people in, in this struggle to be yourself, you have to realize this isn't for anyone else. This isn't to, to get a cookie and say, oh, that guy is so authentic or that girl is so authentic. They're so real. It's for yourself. It's not to get those accolades of, oh, that's a real motherfucker right there. It's not, you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's that's the other part of this that's tricky with people who are claiming identity but don't really have identity. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and it's 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 another one of those like social media driven like ways to fit in. You know what I mean? Like I'm so true to myself. I'm so authentic and it's like it's glorified but it's like anyone who actually is is like that shit isn't fun. That shit isn't easy, man. You know what I mean? Everyone who is actually authentic is like PTSD'd the fuck out. They're yep, just like, exactly. oh God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been beat down so much. I just yeah, I keep them myself. Exactly. And it's uh it's it's one of those things, you know, and I think with what we try to push is the identity of understanding what it takes to be you, not just the statement of being you, but trying to help people see what it actually takes. What is the process? What are the steps? You know, look at the things that you are fed. At a certain point, you come to this. This is what happened to me is that you start questioning things, you know, questioning your culture, questioning school, you know, questioning the power structure around you, questioning the way things work and whether or not you agree with them. And when you start asking yourself those questions, it's important to seek the answers to your questions objectively, not to just immediately put your opinion. You're, it's okay to have your opinion, but I think in life you have to go through the process of not, I, I don't like to use the word validating your opinions, but confirming, you know, confirming that there's logic to your thought process because there's a lot of people who are illogically themselves too like they just stand on this pedestal and they just be rebels and i think teens go through this a lot where you're just rebellious for the sake of fucking being rebellious yeah you get through that phase but once you get past that phase and you you do the work during that phase i think it's a lot easier to accept your identity as it is and understand that hey I've got something figured out and I trust myself that the decisions that I'm making, because that's the other part of this, right? Is like you want to, you want to have a successful life. And sometimes when you are not conforming or being yourself, it makes that path a lot more difficult. And I think a lot of people fall off because they don't want to go through that struggle is getting past the rebellious phase, accepting it. And then moving forward and saying, you know what? I'm comfortable with myself. I'm comfortable with my opinions. And this is going to get to me to where I'm going. And where I'm going may not be the highest net worth ever. It might not be, by, but you are going to find something that I think we value more, which is happiness. Yeah. You no. Know? And, yeah. and, and contentment with self. It won't bother you. A lot of the things that bother us comes from what other people are saying about us how our opinions are being received by others you disconnect yourself and and look inward and go through that process 
that stuff starts to bother you less. Like I used to be really defensive when somebody attacked my opinions because I knew my opinions were well formulated and I was very confident in them. But that was ego. Like I had to be right. You know what I mean? It was about being right. It wasn't about, hey, I respect your opinion and your opinion is your opinion. You have the right to it. But I have my opinion and it's different. So let's not spend this time trying to convince each other who's right. Let's spend this time trying to educate each other on each other's opinion because that helps us grow to understand other people that think like you and people that think like me, you know? That's powerful, man. I think that's that's the perfect way to address our differences is through curiosity and questions. It's not through trying to project our reality or our way of living onto others. And I think that, you know, that's a lesson that if we had had thousands of years ago, over the last thousands of years, we wouldn't have killed each other so much in human in human history. I think like hearing you hearing you tell that story reminded me as well of this process of boundary testing that they talk about in psychology. And um, boundary testing is like when uh, apparently men go through this more than women, according to psychological theory. But you know we're not sexist here, so if if you feel like you're going through it, you're going through it, right? Yeah. But um, Boundary testing is essentially when you do things that you're not allowed to do, like V saying, just essentially you're a contrarian, but it's a part of the growth process and it's how you identify what the true boundaries or limits are on your actions. And like the best way to think about that is, you know, they tell you all the time not to like, I grew up hearing don't, you know, post xyz on social media or don't show too much on social media or don't say anything that you know people would disagree with loudly because you'll get in trouble for that right yeah and that's a boundary i wanted to test and i did test that and i've tested it many times with no consequence and maybe one time i do it there's a huge consequence for that and then i understand kind of why why there's the line there that other people have drawn but i think it's my choice whether that consequence is the price i'm willing to pay for the ability to do that action, which is say whatever whatever I want on social or on this podcast. We say whatever we want. We're very authentic. We could be a lot more censored. We could be a lot more, you know, uh, measured in terms of making strong statements, but that's not who we are. And so we're okay to pay for that consequence because we've done the process of boundary testing in real life with saying whatever the fuck we want, seeing how people get upset, seeing that you lose friendships, seeing that you lose a lot of situations, but you gain as much as you lose. And so you know, I think that's also an important part of this whole thing of being yourself is that you don't necessarily know who you are when you start no, the process. No. That's that's the point. Like you have yeah. to figure it out along the way and you have to mess up to figure it out. Yeah. And it's one of those hacks that earlier you figure it out, the better. Right. Like it took me, you know, what we face culturally is a lot of pressure to conform to certain standards of success, not just success, but also like almost a robotic framing of life, right? Which is mm. you're placed into this cast. There's expectations of you based on what cast you're in, right? And then those those divisions are created in, in terms of an, in, from the very get-go. And then your role in American society, which is you're supposed to be the quote-unquote model minority. So you've got a couple choices. You can be a doctor or engineer, you know what I mean? Or, and, <laughs> and those are kind of like, if you aren't those two things, everybody in the, in society, in your society, in your bubble, your parents, your, your, the community you grew up in, all the uncles and aunties, everyone's looking at you like you're the crazy one. And you're not the crazy one when they see you become a Russell Peters or Aziz Ansari. And that's when they'll be, then they'll be like, oh, okay, I get it now. You have to be okay with that process from it's, from being ridiculed and questioned and, and being an outcast in your society or your, your community to finding the answers. They're not going to understand. You have to accept that people are not going to understand the answer until you answer it. Right. And that's when they'll accept you. And you have to go through that process at the outset. It's very difficult. But now I'm a lot more comfortable with those questions and those challenges that that come from for me um, than I was before. And that's because 
I've gone further down the process. I've seen that living authentically has has bettered my life and therefore I'm more comfortable with it. And you have to be okay with that. I think that's the part that people are, have so much difficulty with and why they don't start the process because they don't want to go through that discomfort phase. Yeah, so true. How many people of you do you think have actually gone through this process in, in like percentage-wise in, in the U.S.? Probably about somewhere, probably about less than 1%. It's less than 1%. Yeah, I agree. Say. I agree completely. And I think that's, that's the, that's the thing is that you're, you mentioned like an Aziz Ansari, you mentioned, you know, there's a million names you could mention yeah. of people who really stand Dave Chappelle, right? Yeah. These people experience a ton of hardship by being themselves. And we don't have to underscore that because both of those are very well-known stories, right? But both of those people are still the example we call out because they retain their sense of individualism, identity, and honesty of who they were through the process while society was trying to shame them, trying to bring them down, trying to get them to conform. And that's that's an important thing. Like, it's not all going to be fun, as you said earlier. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's, yeah. it's a brutal, brutal process. And you have to be signed up for that if you want that. And I think that's that's part of it with this podcast too. Like if you're listening, hopefully you want that. Like hopefully you want to drive yourself and push yourself in that direction. And you know, I'll tell you this, even if you move 1% of the way in that journey, your life will be better. So yep. it's worth trying. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent, man. So on that note, V, I think, I think we're there and being yourself. I think we have kind of a concrete framework. What I would be curious about, is how how we can take this concept and be more conscious of it every day. Do you have ways that you remind yourself in the moment or during like conflict scenarios or when you get stressed out or agitated? Like how do you how do you ground yourself and remind yourself to just like be you and accept the consequences of that? Um, experience is the best teacher, right? Like you you mentioned uh, something called boundary testing. Right. And each time you do something that, you know, is going to make other people discomfortable, uncomfortable. Um, and the result isn't as bad as you thought it was. <laughs> you get more comfortable with being that way. Right. And it's not just boundary testing, but it's also framing things in the conflict that you have with the people that you care about that are telling you challenging you to make it not a, a conflict-based relationship. Take your emotions out of the scenario and try to educate people on why. Like that's why it's so important to identify and understand yourself instead of just saying, I'm myself. Like you have logic as to why you are the way that you are. And so long as you're comfortable with that logic and you express that logic, it's not up to you how other people receive it. It's I'm doing my best. I'm not doing this to disrespect you or disregard you. I'm just doing what's best for me, right? And I think that it's it's amazing the power that has each time you take that step, you know, and each of those steps in different aspects of your life. One thing that's happening for me now, like for a long time, I didn't take physical wellness or physical fitness. Uh, I didn't make that a priority because I was naturally healthy. It didn't prevent me from from anything even though and it was almost like a chip on your shoulder when people would pick on me because i was skinny now i've learned that that's that was kind of ego driven it's like i was i was i was taking my health for granted <laughs> because of this this one comfort right of not needing i wasn't i didn't have weight issues i never had to worry about not being good athletically because i was undersized so instead of looking at it through the lens of this is what's best for me, I was looking at it as like one of those things that society was challenging me about. I was like, fuck you, I'm going to make it anyway. That doesn't matter that I look, I'm skinny. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and now it's like, I don't care that I'm skinny, but it's like, I do need to make sure that I'm physically well. There's so many other things here beyond just the superficial like, things that you hear the people do it for in high school and college, which is I want to be jacked so that I can, I can be attractive to the opposite sex. That's not what's driving it. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And dude, I think, I think that's such a good example because there are things that society will tell you that you should do. Yeah. That, that are going to be better for you, but you have the right to test it and to make yeah. sure it's a part of your identity. Like you have to get through that. So it's like even the vaccine stuff, that's why I'm so pro like no mandates or anything. Obviously yeah. you should get the vaccine, but if people need to go through their own process to get there, they need to go through their own process to get there, but they will yeah. get there. It is definitively a better decision than not getting it. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and there's a lot of that in society. And castigating them for their position isn't going to help you get to the result, right? And that's no. the problem that I have with a lot of the pro-vaxxers, right? Is it's not about getting people vaccinated. It's about, as you always say, putting, you know, virtue signaling that you are a better person than the person who's an anti-vaxxer. And that's not the way you get to the result. You know, that's, that goes back to this, like, society's challenges you know and a lot of people you know especially at, at different ages they're going to respond to that by doubling down like i did right like which was okay i'm going to double down you're you're being you're you're judging me for this so i'm i'm definitely not doing that and i think that's quite frankly what's happening with kyrie irving you know yeah. and and it's almost like you create this this situation where it's like uh, nothing positive is coming out of the out of the conversation around the vaccines at all same thing non-vaccine related for ben ben simmons you know yeah. he's like you challenge my work ethic i won't work at all and everyone's <laughs> like well that's like that doesn't help anybody it doesn't help you ben like if you worked you would actually get better and you'd you'd get paid more and everyone would be happy you'd probably want to ring he's and like well because because you said i'm bad i'm not gonna work yeah, and if you weren't acting like this, you probably, if you want to be traded and you don't like your situation, you're not helping yourself by behaving this way. Does somebody want to invest a max contract in a guy that's this sensitive? Uh, yeah. No, they don't. Yeah. That, I mean, that's every situation I do feel can be broken down into, into this, which is essentially like somebody's got some resistance they're working through. And it's it's just important for us to be empathetic that everybody goes through this stuff. And if someone's going through it and you're not, it doesn't mean you're better than them. It just means their problems are different than yours. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I think that's a, that's a good way to, uh, to leave the con leave this conversation. I think, you know, it, it frames our catchphrases very well. The idea of staying moving, you know, continue moving toward not just your goals, but, understanding yourself and, and being true to yourself and and being you, you know, and I think with that we'll say that it's the end of this this episode one oh five.